Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Your Bibles this evening, turn if you will over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Actually, I want you to go to chapter 4. Go to chapter 4 first, and then we're going to back up into chapter 3. Hallelujah, one of the few places in the Bible where it tells us to fear. You ever notice that? It says, let us therefore fear. (laughs) Anybody ever know that? Lord telling you to fear. What do we fear? We fear at least a promise being left us of entering into His rest. Any of us should seem to come up short of it. Now notice verse 2. Here's how it kind of uses a jumping off. Then we're going to back up into chapter 3. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now notice it says they heard it. We know the Bible says, Then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I like to say it like this. Faith came but nothing was done with it. Now let me say that again. Faith came, but nothing nothing was done with it. Now I'm telling you, that happens a lot. Where people sit, they hear the teaching of the Word of God, and faith comes, and then they wonder, well, why didn't this work? Why isn't this working? Well, because there's a little more uh, to faith than just, you know, hearing the Word and thinking, well, that's good, or I'm going to get that, or I'm going to receive that. There is a mixture that needs to take place of faith with that which you've heard. Now, back up, if you will, into chapter 3. Because actually, it's a, you know, these were, uh, these were not written in chapters and verse. Chapter and verse was put into the Bible for reference sake. These letters that were written to the, uh, to the church were written just like that in letter form. That means it literally just went from one thought to the next to the next. They didn't write it in chapter and verse. So we've got to kind of realize that there's a common flow in all of these letters that are written to the church. Now, look up in verse, oh, let's start in verse 8. I would think that would probably be the best place without getting, getting too involved here. It says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, now notice the next phrase, in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Now notice that again. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So we know exactly what I believe the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews is talking about. The provocation being the event that took place at Kadesh Barnea. Actually, if you want to reference it, you can go over to Numbers chapter 13 and 14 where God had brought the nation of Israel right up to the place in which now they were going to have to act on the faith that God had given them. Amen? The Bible said He was giving them a land that flowed with milk and honey. Now here's the thing. They were going to have to use their faith to go in and take it. And they sent out, everybody knows the story, they sent out ten spies and and the spies came back and they had a report. Now, there were 12 spies, and the Bible says of 10 of them, they brought back an evil report. Now, the the word that dropped into my spirit as I was studying this today, been meditating on it for a couple of days, is that the words that were brought created a sight picture in them. 
Nobody had seen a giant but the, but the 12 spies. Nobody had seen a giant. Nobody had seen a, a, the fierceness of the people. Nobody had seen anything that these guys were talking about except the fruit of the land that they brought back, which was an indication that God was telling the truth. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land that grows grapes as big as watermelons. It's a land that just everybody wants to live in. You know, it's, it's just a great land. So here they came, and they came, the Bible says, with an evil report. So what they did is they took something that they saw, and they transmitted it into the people. Where that not even the evidence of what the men brought back could convince the people, which you thought something that you see or hear or taste or smell, because you could see the grapes. I guess if you wanted a bite, you could have went and got one. You know, I know there probably wasn't enough for two million people, but you know, I mean, if you said, well, I'm not going to believe it till I bite it, you know, and they'd probably let you go bite it, amen? So, I mean, you know, uh, you could have you tasted it, you could have smelled it, you could have seen it. So they, had, they literally had to, had to go against what their, what their senses were telling them to receive an evil report. And the evil report of, well, you know, we were grasshoppers in our own side, and, and so were we in their side. And so literally, uh, God calls that the provocation. And this is what he said. He said in the provocation, in the temptation in the wilderness. Now, what was the temptation? The temptation was a choice of whether to believe God or not to believe God. Now, here's, here's something that, that, that we have to understand. These men and women, way back, you know, what's 4,000 years ago, these men and women were not saved. All right? We'll give them that. They were not born again. They did not have the life and the power of God inside their spirit as we do today. But they were still required to operate in faith as we do today. Amen? So we see in them a great resistance. The whole nation fell into a resistant posture against that which God had told Moses and Aaron and the leadership of the nation. They fell into a resistant posture. Actually, that's being pretty kind. They fell into a rebellious posture. Now, one thing we need to draw out of this is this. Whenever faith comes to us and whenever we hear the Word of God and there is any resistance in us, that shows us we're operating by flesh. That we're voiding the Spirit of God that is on the inside of us. That we're not looking to the greater one that's on the inside. And that we're allowing the flesh and the soul to dominate us. Because I want you to know, even though you are born again, even though you, all may, you might be filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues, no matter what spiritual depth you may think you be, be on depth or height, no matter what it may be, you can still have the same thing they had because of your flesh and your mind. You can still end up in a place of, of doubt, unbelief, and fear. And it happens to a lot of people. It happens to a lot of people. Now notice what it says. Again, it says, uh, Harden not your heart in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. Now this is what's so cool about God. Is even though they rejected Him, He did not reject them. But for God, they would have all died in a couple of weeks out in the wilderness where there was no, there was no uh, food, there was no water, there was no nothing unless God supplied it. They would have all died out in the wilderness. And you think if they would have went back to Egypt, they would have been welcomed with open arms? After all, the firstborn of their children had died? Brother, they would have chopped them to pieces. So they were stuck. And God knew it. And they knew it. And God is a merciful God. And God is a compassion God. 
compassionate God, and he gave them water out of the rock, and he gave them manna every day, and he, and he, and he gave them quail, and he gave them all this provision, and they proved his faithfulness. Amen. Now, notice this. Notice this. It says, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into, now notice how he says it. He didn't say they shall not enter into the promised land. They shall not enter into their own home. They shall not enter into their new car. It said, they shall not enter into my rest. Now, what is the rest of God? This is where a lot of people miss it. What is the rest of God? Well, as you get into the Word of God, you get into the book of Genesis, and you see where creation took place. And the Bible says, on the seventh day, He what? On the seventh day, He what? Now, He has never departed out of that seventh day. Did you get that? Now you say, now how can He not have, you know, why isn't there an eighth day or a ninth day or a tenth day or whatever? The reason he is still in his, quote, seventh day or in his day of rest is because everything he's ever planned out for the world, the world system, knowing about the enemy, knowing about all that redemption would need to do. The Bible says that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world, which means while the world was being created, God already knew this situation was evil, was going to rise up. This situation was... So he set all this plan into motion, and now he sits at rest. And he has sat at rest since the seventh day of creation. Now, that scripture right there ought to give you a great place for rejoicing. You say, why? The Bible said they did not enter into his rest which means there is a potential of you and I entering into His rest. Now let me say that again, because some of you might need to hear that. Because if you really do this, it's going to remove all the anxiety. It's going to remove all the stress. It's going to remove all the worry. It's going to remove all the intimidation of the enemy. It's going to remove everything if you come to the place in your life where you say, the Word of God is absolute true and truth and I'm taking it at face value and I'm going to enter into the rest of God realizing that God has already laid out the plan and the provision for my life. Already laid out. Already done. He doesn't have to go figure it out. He doesn't have to go get it somewhere. He's already made it. It's already been done. Now I'm going to enter into what He's already done for me. Amen. Now way back up in the first scripture we read, verse 8, notice what it said. Harden not your heart. Now what happens many times is when you do not enter into that rest and you continue in a place of worry, you continue in a place of stress, you continue in a place of anxiety, you get hard. You get hard. I said you get hard. Now when you, when you begin to look at what hard means, or you be defined, you can go to your strongs and, and, and get the Greek definition for it and all the... De- but in reality, the first place hardness shows up is in your hearing. And what do we call people who can't hear? We call them hard of hearing. Why do we call them hard of hearing? Because it comes right out of the Word of God. That means there is an inability to hear. An inability to hear. Now, one of the greatest tragedies of men and women like us who know that God loves them, know that God cares about them, know that God has a plan for them, know that God has blessing for them, know that God has all this good stuff, is to know that 
and not respond to it. You say, what do you mean not respond to it? Not have a response from the place in your life where you are willing to totally abandon yourself to Him in every area. Amen? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of times people are, you know, Pastor, well, I'd like to do more. I'd like to give more. I'd, I'd, I'd like to be more involved. I'd like, to, I'd like to be more involved with missions. I'd like to go on a, a missions trip maybe one day. But, you know, I mean, we're just, we're just we've, got, we've got soccer and we've got baseball and we've got football and we've got, then, then you know, then the Astros, they're probably going to be in the playoffs. And, then and the Bible says that, that, that the deceitfulness of what goes on in this world draws us away. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the activity of the world and the world system is going to decrease for you? It's not going to do it. I heard a preacher years ago. Actually, it was the only time I ever heard him speak, and it was a profound message that he spoke. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. He was a very well-known man of God, and we were in this meeting with him, and it was just, it was just off the wall. And he said, this, he said this. He said, the problem with most believers is they will not force themselves to make time for God. They don't have, an, they don't have it in them. to force. And he says what's funny about that is they will force themselves to make time for other things. They will look to make time for the soccer. They will look to make time for, you say, well, what are we going to do with their kids? What are, well, how about raising them in the presence of God? Amen? Amen. I mean, I, somebody the other day, man, who was that? They were talking to me about, about being in my meetings when they were little. And they were talking about how, you know, we, I was a little kid in your meetings. And I tell you, the Holy Ghost touched me when I was little. And they're still serving God to this day. You have to understand something, church. There is a great resistance in this world against what you're doing right now. I mean, some of you, if you'll just, if you'll just do a little inventory of yourself, you'll find out, many of you, it was hard for you to get here tonight. <laughs> now, let me just say this. When it's hard to read the Bible, when it's hard to come to church, when it's hard to pray, when it's hard to be involved in the things of God and the things of the Spirit, ooh, Maybe I ought to go read Psalms 23. Are you ready for this on Wednesday night? If it's hard, have you ever found it hard? Hard to tithe. Hard to give your money. Hard to witness. You know why it's like that? It's because there's only one person on the planet that makes it hard. And it ain't the devil. (laughs) You ever heard the term, don't be so hard on yourself? You know, that's what God says. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't make it hard to pray. Don't make it hard to study. Don't make it hard to worship. Don't make it hard to tithe. Don't make it hard to offer. Don't make it hard to pray for missionaries. Don't make it hard. Don't make it hard. Don't make it hard. You or we make it hard on ourselves. I've, been, I've had times in ministry where I've told God, I said, Lord, man, it's, it's just tough. I go in this church after church after church or pastoring this church or doing this or doing that, trying to get a crusade team together, trying to do this. Try, and I've just said, Lord, it's hard. And the Lord would speak, speak to me and say, you're making it hard on yourself. And I would ask him, Lord, how am I doing that? Because if I'm doing that, I need to know how not to do it. <laughs> Amen. And he took me right over here to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 and said, your problem is is you have no rest in you because you're trying to make something happen 
that you couldn't make happen if you tried. Amen? So, let's look at a little. Hebrews is a, how can I say this? Hebrews is a meaty book. There's a lot of meat in this book. Now, notice the next verse 12 says this. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, listen. You do not stand in a place of, what would be a good word for that, Lord? You do not stand in a dormant place when it comes to God in your life. You do not stand there. You don't stand in a place in which God's not moving, you're not moving. No, you're either moving toward Him or you're moving away from Him. And the reason so many people struggle in serving God is that they're, they'll move toward God, but with one step toward God, they'll move two steps back, and you'll find it hard to get back to that first place. It's difficult. I said, it's difficult. I've, I've had people, somebody, who was it? Well, I better not say who it was. Yeah, that's who it was. Anyway, I'm not going to say who it was. But they told me that you just, they said, you just make it too hard. And I said to them, I do not make it too hard. You do. Of course, they got even madder. Because it's amazing how anger will accompany, amen, a revelation of you being wrong. You'll rise up mad. Hey, you know, who would do to you to talk to me like that, you know? <laughs> but I found this out about Jesus. The Word of God is true even when your circumstances go against the grain of it. Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He said, I am meek, I am lowly, come and learn of me. And when I read the Gospels, I don't see an anxious Jesus. I don't see a worried Jesus. I don't see a stressed Jesus. And did he have any reason to be stressed? Oh, my goodness. He had a bunch of crazy guys following him around. He had a, he had a government he had to deal with. He had a religious uh, uh, system that he was involved in that was horrible. And he was just cool, calm, and collective everywhere he went. You know why? Because he was entered into the same rest that his father was, and the only time that rest was tempted, it was in the Garden of Eden. Excuse me, it was in the Garden of, uh, uh, Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, that, that was, you, he almost got to the place right there where he was like, you know, that was his time of greatest temptation, greatest stress. Oh, should I say that? Remember Adam and the woman? They fell in the garden. That was Jesus' point of temptation in which redemption hung in the balance. In which, all right, are you really going to do this? Are you really going to obey God? Are you really going to go all the way? You're really, gonna, you're, really gonna, you're really gonna die on the cross? You're really gonna let them stripe your back? You're really gonna let them nail you to the cross? Oh, don't you know you're God? Are you gonna? And the Bible says he, he prayed and he sweat as it were, great drops of blood. I mean, that's what he did. But then what did he do? The Bible said he went to the cross, endured the suffering shame of it for the joy that was set before him. He had, he had one point or one time in his life. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't from pulling away from God. It was because he pulled so close to his heavenly Father that all of the plan of God in which he was, he was involved in was revealed. And he knew it's going to be tough. It's going to be easy. It's going to be the sins of the world, the sickness of the world, the suffering of the world. It's going to be three days and three nights. And listen, three days and three nights in eternity is how long? 
Three days and three nights in eternity is how long? It's forever. That's how long it is. God, uh, uh, Peter said it like this. A day with the Lord is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years is, with, is a day. I mean, that, that wasn't just like three 24-hour you know, uh, uh, periods. He was down there suffering as far as he was concerned. It was an eternal, it was an eternal punishment he took. You say, why? Well, because you were given an eternal punishment. So he took your punishment. You say, then how did he get out of there in three days and three nights? That, it it satisfied, the, satisfied the terms of justice. You say, who, who sets that? God himself. He does all things after the counsel of his own will. But now notice this. Let me read it again. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you. Now what, notice what God calls it. An evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily why it is called today least any of you be hardened, now notice this, through the deceitfulness of sin. Now here's the problem that we get into. Anytime you're stressed, anytime you're strained, anytime you're having a hard time, and you call up a brother or sister, the problem is we give affirmation to one another's problem. When somebody calls you and says, I'm telling you, man, I, I, I'm done. I ain't going to church no more. All they want is money. You know, they, they, they talk about this faith stuff. I've tried to understand. I can't do it. And then, you know, on the other side of the phone, we say, well, yeah, you know, it is kind of tough. I mean, it's, uh, you know what you're doing? You know what you're doing? You're coming into agreement instead of saying, what are you talking about? Well, if it wasn't for salvation and the Holy Ghost, why well, you wouldn't, you'd be dead or you'd be, or you'd be in jail or you'd still be addicted to drugs or you'd be an alcoholic. Or you'd be this or you'd be that. Don't you realize God's trying to do something for you? God's trying to do something in you so he can do something through you? Amen? And when you realize that and recognize that, many times the self-inflicted, and that's and you hate to say this to people, but it's true, and I've gone through it myself. The self-inflicted stress we put on ourselves is has all of its basis in selfishness and all the selfishness is is the desire for comfort i need comfort i need i mean at the times when i thought uh, you know uh, uh somebody should come and really comfort me and really somebody came and corrected me the first time that happened i was ready to jump and run I thought, somebody needs to come pet me and, and stroke me and tell me that God still loves me. And, 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 and somebody didn't do that. They came to me and said, you better wake up. You better snap too. Because the same devil that kept you in bondage for those years, he's too freaking to get you right back into bondage if you don't snap out of this. And so a lot of times we don't like that. So we have to do what? What does the Bible say? It says to exhort. Everybody say exhort. Now, what is exhortation? Exhortation is what we do to lift. If anybody ever calls you down, don't knock them further down. No matter how down they may be, you can't knock them further down. Amen? That means you have to exhort them. You have to lift them up. No matter how negative, you've got to be positive. No matter how much in unbelief, you've got to be in faith. No matter how much, other, you know, I, I've been believing God for healing. I'm, I'm still sick and getting sicker. You ought to say, oh, glory to God. That must mean something's working in you. The devil trying to kill you. He know he can't do it. So it just might, you're just one day closer to the manifestation of your healing. 
You're just one day closer to your financial breakthrough. There's always something if you can listen in your human spirit to the Holy Ghost when somebody calls or when you're in a conversation with somebody. There's always something you can pull up out of the spirit that will cause you to exhort or to lift somebody up. And the Bible says to who to do it? It says we do it to each other. We do it to each other. Exhort one another just on Tuesdays. Daily. That means every day you need somebody to lift you up. Amen? Now, here's the deal. i got a lot of friends in the ministry, people that I know, and we practice this a lot, texting each other, talking to each other. I was on the phone the other day for almost an hour with Pastor Mark, just talking, exhorting one another, talking about the plans of God. But listen, within the body of Christ, many times we just put that, we put that on the preacher. See, for years, the pastor, what he did is he preached on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, he spent all his time visiting the people, going around visiting the people, trying to keep all the people lifted up. Amen? Don't you like preachers like that? Too bad you don't have one here. Amen? You don't have one here. You say, why? Because I'm going to stick with the Word of God. And I'm going to exalt you to exhort each other. Now, don't get us wrong. We, we minister to people. We help people. We bless people. We visit, Lee and I were visiting people this week. We're always there for people doing what pastors should do. But many times what people have done is they've burned down their pastors. Burned them out. Little congregations of 30 and 40 and 50 people that the pastor wears himself out keeping a bunch of Christians in babyhood state. Not ever allowing any of them to grow up. And, and, and people like that. They like to be caught. Well, you know, the preacher comes to my house. And, you know, I was listening to, 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 to Brother Hagen the other day. He pastored for 12 years. And he said one of, his, one of his churches that he pastored, he said he wouldn't go visit people. He said, you know, it was, that was one of the things. You were assembly of God. You were voted on. And he said, I just wouldn't do it. I just, I just wouldn't go do it. And he said we had a guy come in. He got saved. He was a guy all the churches believed in God for. He was a real hard case in the community. He got in. He got saved. Everybody was rejoicing. And then he, 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 he slipped at the job and, and cursed and didn't come to church. And he said the Lord spoke to him and gave his name and said, you know, he, 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 thinks he's, he thinks God's mad at him now. He's lost his salvation, all this kind of stuff. And his wife, it says, right as God was speaking that to him, his wife was knocking on the door. He said, oh, we were so happy. So-and-so got saved. My husband got saved. Was all this kind of and he said, you know, he said, uh, 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 he said the Lord spoke to me. He said, go, go restore him now. He said he went and restored him. He said he walked in the door, found him out on the screened-in porch, sleeping on the desk. He said, he said it's, it's Pastor Hagen went over and put his hand on him. He said he wouldn't even turn over and look at him. And so he just loved on him, got down and loved on him, got him, got him restored. Then about two months later, had to go again. Well, a guy lived across the street from him. They'd been going to the church for 20 years. And he got all upset that the pastor came visit the little baby the little baby Christian, and got him restored twice, but never been to visit him. So he started stirring up all kinds of strife and all kinds of problems. And Brother Hagin said he went over to his house, knocked on his door, said, God, open the door. And he said, you know what you need to do? You need to grow up. 
He said, if you needed restoration, I'd come and restore you at any time. But he says, the problem is, he said, you've sat under the teaching of the Word of God for 20 years of your life, and you've never grown up. And if we don't grow up in the Word of God and realize that as much as we have a responsibility to God, we have a responsibility to one another, to exhort one another in faith. One another in faith. And as you exhort, now listen to this. As you exhort one another in faith, it cuts out the opportunity for strife. Because if you ever find yourself in conversations with individuals within your church in which strife is being rehearsed, you understand that you're outside of the will of God, outside of the providence of God, and you are not obeying what the Scripture is saying. Because strife does not lift up. Strife pushes down. Amen? And it hardens your heart. Everybody say harden. Now, exhort one another daily. Everybody say daily. Why it is called today, least any of you be hardened. Now notice this, through the deceitfulness of sin. Now listen to me. We all think about sin being, you know, a guy went down and drank a beer. He's, he's in sin now. He went over and smoked a joint. He smoked a cigarette. He, he went to, did this, went to do. Now listen, that is not sin. That is a result of sin. That's just your flesh. That's literally most of the time, people do not realize that a lot of flesh things that people do are a result of, of, of un, uh, unsuppressed iniquity in their mind and flesh. So they just yield to their baser nature. But the only sin relevant to the new covenant is the sin of unbelief. Unbelief. Why do you go back to the bottle? Unbelief. Why do you go back to the perverse lifestyle? Unbelief. Why do you go back to this? You do it because of unbelief. And the Bible says the deceitfulness of that will do what? Will harden you. And once you get hardened, you're not pliable anymore. You ever seen um, clay? We opened somebody, where was we at? Somebody opened a paint can the other day. And it was all hard. Here. I guess. I knew we were somewhere. But it was a, it was a paint can. And they opened it up and everybody went, nope, that's no good anymore. It wasn't liquid anymore. Couldn't use it, couldn't, couldn't put it on the wall anymore. You say, well, it hardened. And the same thing's true of our hearts. When our hearts get hardened through what? The deceitfulness of unbelief. Amen. Now, let's take it a little further. I've got seven minutes left. The next verse almost sounds like a verse that's been taken out of context and placed in a strange place. Because here he's talking about the temptation of Israel, the provocation, exhorting one another, watching your heart, not getting under, into unbelief, all of these things. Then he says this, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. It's almost like he's taken a departure from speaking on one subject and gone to another subject, but he hasn't. He's remained in the same subject. And basically given us the answer. Now notice again. For we are made partakers of what? Of what? Say it again. Say it again. Now, if we are partakers of Christ, what do we lack? Now, let me say that again. If we are partakers of Christ, what do we lack? Nothing. Nothing. But now notice the word partaker. For we are made partakers of Christ... If, remember what we said about if, every time you see it in the Bible, circle it, 
That means choice. There's a choice. If, now here we go, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. What is the beginning of your confidence? See, that, that's, where you, that's why you have to study, you have to meditate, and you have to allow the Holy Ghost to unfold the Scripture. What is the beginning of your confidence? Well, let me help you. I'll help you with it. You want me to help you with it? You're not saved. 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 I'm going to agree with that. Really? You agree with that? You mean you're not, you're not going to let me talk it out and talk you out of it? Well, you had a bad thought yesterday. You had a bad thought yesterday. Uh, you, did, you did something mean last week. You're not saved. You're not saved. See, I can't, there's no way I could talk you out of what? The beginning of your confidence is so strong that literally you'd probably go to the gallows or let them chop your head off before you'd say, I'll tell you, I'm saved. I'm saved. Now that's the beginning. That's where God is saying this. The beginning of your, for by grace you are saved through faith. Not of works, it is the gift of God. Least in. So he's saying this, by the faith that the Word of God produced, you tapped into grace for salvation, and it came down into your life, and you became a new creature, born again, apart from feelings, apart from any other thing. You know it, it is a knowing that is imparted to you by the Word of God. That is the beginning of your what? I am confident of this one thing. I may not know nothing else, but I know I am born again. I know I am washed in the blood. I'm telling you, I don't care how many churches come and go. I don't care how many preachers come and go. I don't care what happens on this earth. I have confidence I am born again. All right? We settled that. I said we settled that. So the beginning of your confidence is what? Secure, strong Steadfast, unrelenting, immovable, uncorrupted. See all those things? You see all those things? That is what? That is the beginning of our confidence that we've got to do what? Hold fast. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, that means we have to hold on to that one thing. Prayed, Lee and I prayed with a lady the other day. We went and visited. Took a long drive to do it. And I know that this person had prayed the sinner's prayer several times with other people. So we wanted to pray with them to make sure they're in a struggle for life and death. And so I, first thing I said, I said, now do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you're born again? That Jesus is your Lord? That if you were to die, you would go to heaven? You know what their answer was? I sure hope so. Now look, look, that confidence was not there. So what we had to do is pray with them and exhort them 
that now you are born again. Now you are saved. Now I don't, you know, well, I, I'm, I'm not. No, we just wouldn't let doubt and unbelief rise up. We just continue to exhort them. But you've got to realize that you've gone deep enough into this. Now let me say it again. You've gone deep enough into this where your salvation, your confidence of that which God has imparted to you, you're not like the children of Israel. The spiritual reality of the new birth is so strong in you. You tithe, come to church on Wednesday, give to missions, do this, do that. Because why? Because that confidence is moving you forward. Some people very slowly, others very quickly, but it moves you forward where? Toward God. You go toward Him, toward Him, toward Him. Why? Because you, now you don't ever find anybody that's backed, 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 that's sure of their salvation. They're just not sure. They just don't, they're not sure of it. But anybody that has started at that same point in what you believe you receive and you were born again and you, know, and you begin, it might have been at a snail's pace. But you kept moving forward toward God. The Word, prayer, sanctification, righteousness, wisdom, knowledge, all those things. You just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. I'm telling you, you cannot challenge that person's salvation. It's unchallengeable. The devil can't do it. The world can't do it. Disease can't do it. Nothing can do it. Are you with me? So God has given you what the Bible calls a landmark. How many times in Proverbs? Anybody ever studied Proverbs when it talks about don't remove the ancient landmarks? Because all of those landmarks had spiritual significance to them. So you have been given a spiritual landmark, which is your salvation, which stands in your spirit. Confident and strong. And God's saying, use that as a marker. Use that as a marker. Now notice, keep that thought. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, how long? To the end. So you are holding the confidence of your, of your beginnings with Christ, which means the more you partake or the more you move into it, the better it gets. It doesn't get harder and harder. Now let me say this. It doesn't get harder and harder, but it may get more challenging and more challenging. Now let me say that again. It does not get harder and harder, but it may get more challenging and more challenging. Now, whew, minute over. Whilst... It is said, verse 15, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the day of provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Now, let me, I'll close with that. What is, your, what, is your, what is your landmark now? Where is the beginning of your confidence? It's your salvation, which is what? What is your salvation? It is your spiritual Passover. It is your coming out. Coming out of the world. Coming out of sin. Coming out. So God is saying, now listen. I gave a nation a landmark. Not only did I 
deliver them through ten mighty signs and wonders. But I brought them out of slavery. I bought them out of bondage. I brought them out of Egypt. And then I closed the sea over their enemies. So they'll never have to worry about them again. And they stood on the other side, dry and victorious. That was their landmark. And based upon that act, God said, based upon what I did there, which was the beginning of their confidence, it was their coming out. It was their coming out. Now, all that was involved in that, the Passover, the, the, the blood on the doorpost, the ten uh, uh, mighty signs, mighty wonders, which were all judgments against the demon gods of Egypt. Which, see, when somebody that has you in slavery serves a god and their god gets judged and brought down, your slavery gets less and less. Did you get that? So God judged ten demon gods in Egypt. And at the end of that judgment, the Passover. And at the end of the Passover, they stood on the other side of the Red Sea and all of their enemies were drowned. Which is a type of what? Salvation. And based on that, God figured that's enough. That's all they need. We're going to go to, to the mount. We're going to get the law. Bless God, we're going to go in and possess the promised land. But then there came an evil report of unbelief that did what? It set them back 40 years. And what happened to the ones that got set back 40 years? Except for two of them, they all died in the wilderness. Amen? So, here's the key. You're born again. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You've had your Passover. The demon God of this world has been judged. And he is defeated on your behalf. He didn't have to be defeated on God's behalf. He was never a match for God. Never a match for God. But now you have taken up, listen, by your own choice, whether you like it or not, you have taken up a new life. You have taken up a new life. You have taken up a new life. You, have take, you ought to get up every morning, look yourself in the mirror and say, I have chosen a new life. I have chosen a new life. I have chosen a new life. And you're going to have to talk yourself into it. Because if you don't talk yourself into it, then what's going to happen is your old life is going to try to encroach on your new life. And as your old life tries to encroach on your new life, then what happens is the landmark gets a little wiggly. Because you don't understand it's the landmark, it's the confidence, it's your first confidence that keeps you motivated. To come to church on Wednesday night, to read your Bible every day, to pray, to be a witness, to come play the drums, to come sing, to do this. That's what keeps you motivated to do that. And if that motivation begins to weaken, what's going to happen to you? You're going to drift off into unbelief. And what, what does God say about unbelief? Fear it. He says, be afraid of it. Fear unbelief. Do everything you could do. And then that's when he started in, verse, in chapter 4 and said, Hey, listen, I gave all those people 
that we think, well, that wasn't really fair, you know. We're, you know, man, take all those people out in the wilderness and, 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 and you know, and, and expect them to go in. They're not trained military. They're not, you know, nobody had any training. Nobody had any, nobody had any, uh, uh, you know, where were their weapons? Where were their spears, their swords? Where were their chariots, you know? And they had all these armed enemies. And, I, uh, you know, that's just not, it's just not a fair thing. They had God. What, what would you rather have? Spears and shields and chariots? And, or would you rather have God? They had God. But it never dawned on them. It never dawned on them. That the same God, ooh, we could teach another net message on this. The same God that judged all the demon gods that held them in slavery, the same God that created the Passover and brought them out of Egypt with all the wealth of Egypt, which, which, which put them on a path to, a, to the sea, and the sea split. Everybody knows what that is, don't you? It's a type of baptism. The Red Sea opened. It opened. It opened. One, I read after one guy who said, and he proved it by Scripture. I thought it was amazing. I need to go and look at, at, at where I heard it from. He said that he froze it. That he, he heaped the sea up and then froze it. Because they walked across on dry land. I mean, you think you walked across on a seabed, it'd be kind of... He said, no, there's a, there's a Hebrew word that talks about how he took, that, took it, heaped it up upon itself, and froze it solid. And then they came across. Why do you think those Egyptians thought they could go across? Because they saw that frozen. Oh, we can do that. And what did God do? He melted it just like that and drowned all the enemies in the sea. Listen, that was... A lesser covenant based on lesser promises. You've got a better covenant based on better promises that ought to motivate you to get in this book, that ought to motivate you to get on your knees, that ought to motivate you to serve God and come to church, that ought to put a motivation on the inside of you so strong that you're able to exhort your neighbor to do that. That when you see a friend or a loved one that's not in church, you call them and say, hey, I didn't see you in church tonight. Where were you? Ah, uh, well, you know how it is. I'll tell you. Say, no, I don't know how it is. You should have been at church. God loves you. God cares about you. Well, just two weeks ago, he healed you of this or he did that. See, that's exhorting one another. See, next Wednesday night, they'll probably be in church. And in doing that, we minister, we learn to minister one to another, just like our body ministers to itself. Amen? Lift your hands. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that you've given us not an evil heart of unbelief, but you've given us a heart of faith. Now, Lord, with that heart of faith tonight, we dismiss, thanking you for your provision of safety, protection, and blessing. Thank you in our high school this week, there was safety, protection, and blessing. Thank you that as people work in the, high, in the, in the, in the medical field, in the educational field, Lord, and all the other petrochemical, every place else in our community, thank you as people travel, as we travel. We're not subject to all of that clutter out there, destruction and death and accidents and situations and circumstances. For you said in your word that we abide under the shadow of the Most High, that angels have charge over us, that no evil befalls us, no plague comes in our dwelling place. That we as your people walk upon serpents, scorpions, over all power of the enemy, and nothing by any means harms us. We thank you for it, Father. So as we leave today, we declare our protection and our safety. 
Thank you for our door of utterance. Let us be quick to exhort one another. Exhort one another. For, Lord, as we sow exhortation, we will reap it back into our lives. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. We thank you, Lord. As we leave tonight, we walk in faith and love towards you. You love us so much. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy God bless you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.